At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Section 18 of A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Section 18 As to the suddenness of people's dying at this time more than before, there were innumerable instances of it, and I could name several in my neighborhood. One family, without the bars, were all seemingly well on the Monday, being ten in family. That evening one maid and one apprentice were taken ill and died the next morning, when the other apprentice and two children were touched, whereof one died the same evening, and the other two on Wednesday. In a word, by Saturday at noon, the master, mistress, four children, and four servants were all gone, and the house left entirely empty, except an ancient woman who came in to take charge of the goods for the master of the family's brother, who lived not far off, and who had not been sick. Many houses were then left desolate, all the people being carried away dead, and especially in an alley farther on the same side behind the bars, going in at the sign of Moses and Aaron, there were several houses together which, they said, had not one person left alive in them, and some that died last in several of those houses were left a little too long before they were fetched out to be buried, the reason of which was not, as some have written very untruly that the living were not sufficient to bury the dead, but that the mortality was so great in the yard or alley that there was nobody left to give notice to the barriers or sextons that there were any dead bodies there to be buried. It was said, how true I know not, that some of those bodies were so much corrupted and so rotten that it was with difficulty they were carried and as the carts could not come any nearer than to the alley gate in the high street, it was so much the more difficult to bring them along. But I am not certain how many bodies were then left. I am sure that, ordinarily, it was not so. As I have mentioned how the people were brought into a condition to despair of life and abandon themselves, so this very thing had a strange effect among us for three or four weeks, 
that is, it made them bold and venturous. They were no more shy of one another, or restrained within doors, but went anywhere and everywhere, and began to converse. One would say to another, I do not ask you how you are, or say how I am. I am certain we shall all go. So tis no matter who is all sick, or who is sound. And so they ran desperately into any place or any company. As it brought the people into public company, so it was surprising how it brought them to crowd into the churches. They inquired no more into whom they sat near to, or far from, what offensive smells they met with, or what condition the people seemed to be in. But, looking upon themselves all as so many dead corpses, they came to the churches without the least caution, and crowded together as if their lives were of no consequence to the work which they came about there. Indeed, the zeal which they showed in coming, and the earnestness and affection they showed in their attention to what they heard, made it manifest what a value people would all put upon the worship of God, if they thought every day they attended at the church that it would be their last. Nor was it without other strange effects, for it took away all manner of prejudice at or scruple about the person whom they found in the pulpit when they came to the churches, it cannot be doubted but that many of the ministers of the parish churches were cut off, among others, in so common and dreadful a calamity, and others had not courage enough to stand it, but removed into the country as they found means for an escape. As then some parish churches were quite vacant and forsaken, the people made no scruple of desiring such dissenters as had been a few years before deprived of their livings by virtue of the act of parliament called the act of uniformity to preach in the churches nor did the church ministers in that case make any difficulty of accepting their assistance so that many of those whom they called silenced ministers had their mouths opened on this occasion, and preached publicly to the people. Here we may observe, and I hope it will not be amiss to take notice of it, that a near view of death would soon reconcile men of good principles one to another, and that it is chiefly owing to our easy situation in life, and our putting these things far from us, that our breaches are fomented, ill-blood continued, prejudices, breach of charity, and of Christian union, so much kept, and so far carried on among us, as it is. Another plague year would reconcile all these differences, a close conversing with death, or with diseases that threaten death, would scum off the gall from our tempers, remove the animosities among us, and bring us to see with differing eyes than those which we looked on things with before. As the people who had been used to join with the church were reconciled at this time with the admitting of the dissenters to preach to them, 
so the dissenters who with an uncommon prejudice had broken off from the communion of the church of england were now content to come to their parish churches and to conform to the worship which they did not approve of before but as the terror of the infection abated those things all returned again to their less desirable channel and to the course they were in before i mention this but historically i have no mind to enter into arguments to move either or both sides to a more charitable compliance one with another i do not see that it is probable such a discourse would be either suitable or successful the breaches seem rather to widen and tend to a widening further than to closing and who am i that i should think myself able to influence either one side or other but this i may repeat again that tis evident death will reconcile us all on the other side the grave we shall all be brethren again in heaven whither i hope we may come from all parties and persuasions we shall find neither prejudice or scruple there we shall be of one principle and of one opinion why we cannot be content to go hand in hand to the place where we shall join heart and hand without the least hesitation and with the most complete harmony and affection i say why we cannot do so here i can say nothing to neither shall i say anything more of it but that it remains to be lamented i could dwell a great while upon the calamities of this dreadful time and go on to describe the objects that appeared among us every day the dreadful extravagancies which the distraction of sick people drove them into how the streets began now to be fuller of frightful objects and families to be made even a terror to themselves but after i have told you as i have above that one man being tied in his bed and finding no other way to deliver himself set the bed on fire with his candle which unhappily stood within his reach and burnt himself in his bed and how another by the insufferable torment he bore danced and sung naked in the streets not knowing one ecstasy from another i say after i have mentioned these things what can be added more what can be said to represent the misery of these times more lively to the reader or to give him a more perfect idea of a complicated distress i must acknowledge that this time was terrible that i was sometimes at the end of all my resolutions and that i had not the courage that i had at the beginning as the extremity brought other people abroad it drove me home and except having made my voyage down to blackwall and greenwich as i have related which was an excursion i kept afterwards very much within doors as i had for about a fortnight before i have said already that i repented several times that i had ventured to stay in town and had not gone away with my brother and his family 
but it was too late for that now. And after I had retreated and stayed within doors a good while before my impatience led me abroad, then they called me, as I have said, to an ugly and dangerous office which brought me out again. But as that was expired, while the height of the distemper lasted, I retired again, and continued close ten or twelve days more, during which many dismal spectacles represented themselves in my view out of my own windows and in our own street, as that particularly from Harrow Alley, of the poor outrageous creature which danced and sung in his agony, and many others there were. Scarce a day or a night passed over, but some dismal thing or other happened at the end of that Harrow Alley, which was a place full of poor people, most of them belonging to the butchers, or to employments depending upon the butchery. Sometimes heaps and throngs of people would burst out of the alley, most of them women, making a dreadful clamour, mixed or compounded of screeches, cryings, and calling one another, that we could not conceive what to make of it. Almost all the dead part of the night the dead cart stood at the end of that alley, for if it went in it could not well turn again, and could go in but a little way. There, I say, it stood to receive dead bodies, and as the churchyard was but a little way off, if it went away full, it would soon be back again. It is impossible to describe the most horrible cries and noise the poor people would make at their bringing the dead bodies of their children and friends out of the cart, and by the number one would have thought there had been none left behind, or that there were people enough for a small city living in those places. Several times they cried, Murder! Sometimes, Fire! But it was easy to perceive it was all distraction, and the complaints of distressed and distempered people. I believe it was everywhere thus at this time, for the plague raged for six or seven weeks beyond all that I have expressed, and came even to such a height that, in the extremity, they began to break into that excellent order of which I have spoken so much in behalf of the magistrates, namely that no dead bodies were seen in the street or burials in the daytime, for there was a necessity in this extremity to bear with its being otherwise for a little while. One thing I cannot omit here, and indeed I thought it was extraordinary, at least it seemed a remarkable hand of divine justice, that is, that all the predictors, astrologers, fortune-tellers, and what they call cunning men, conjurers, and the like, calculators of nativities and dreamers of dream, and such people, were gone, and vanished. Not one of them was to be found. I am verily persuaded that a great number of them fell in the heat of the calamity, having ventured to stay upon the prospect of getting great estates, and indeed their gain was but too great for a time, 
through the madness and folly of the people. But now they were silent. Many of them went to their long home, not able to foretell their own fate, or to calculate their own nativities. Some have been critical enough to say that every one of them died. I dare not affirm that, but this I must own, that I never heard of one of them that ever appeared after the calamity was over. But to return to my particular observations during this dreadful part of the visitation, I am now come, as I have said, to the month of September, which was the most dreadful of its kind, I believe, that ever London saw. For by all the accounts which I have seen of the preceding visitations, which have been in London, nothing has been like it, the number in the weekly bill amounting to almost forty thousand from the twenty-second of August to the twenty-sixth of September, being but five weeks. The particulars of the bills are as follows, that is, from August the twenty-second to the twenty-ninth, seven thousand four hundred ninety-six. From August the twenty-ninth to the fifth of September, eight thousand two hundred and fifty-two. From September the fifth through the twelfth, seven thousand six hundred and ninety. From September the twelfth through the nineteenth, eight thousand two hundred ninety-seven. From September the nineteenth through the twenty-sixth, six thousand four hundred and sixty, for a total of thirty-eight thousand one hundred and ninety-five. This was a prodigious number of itself, but I should add the reasons which I had to believe that the account was deficient, and how deficient it was, you would, with me, make no scruple to believe that there died above ten thousand a week for all those weeks, one week with another, and a proportion for several weeks, both before and after. The confusion among the people, especially within the city at that same time, was inexpressible. The terror was so great at last that the courage of the people appointed to carry away the dead began to fail them. Nay, several of them died, although they had the distemper before and were recovered, and some of them dropped dead when they had been carrying the bodies even at the pit-side and just ready to throw them in. And this confusion was greater in the city, because they had flattered themselves with hopes of escaping, and thought the bitterness of death was past. One cart, they told us, going up Shoreditch, was forsaken of the drivers, or being left to one man to drive, he died in the street, and the horses going on overthrew the cart, and left the bodies, some thrown out here, some there, in a dismal manner. Another cart was, it seems, found in the great pit in Finsbury Fields, the driver being dead, or having been gone and abandoned it, and the horses running too near it, the cart fell in, and drew the horses in also. It was suggested that the driver was thrown in with it, and that the cart fell upon him, 
by reason his whip was seen to be in the pit among the bodies, but that, I suppose, could not be certain. In our parish of Aldgate, the dead carts were several times, as I have heard, found standing at the churchyard gate, full of dead bodies, but neither bellman or driver or any one else with it. Neither in these, or many other cases, did they know what bodies they had in their cart, for sometimes they were let down with ropes out of balconies and out of windows, and sometimes the bearers brought them to the cart, sometimes other people. Nor, as the men themselves said, did they trouble themselves to keep any account of the numbers. The vigilance of the magistrates was now put to the utmost trial, and it must be confessed, can never be enough acknowledged on this occasion also, whatever expense or trouble they were at, two things were never neglected in the city or suburbs either. One, provisions were always to be had in full plenty, and the price not much raised, neither hardly worth speaking. Two, no dead bodies lay unburied or uncovered, and if one walked from one end of the city to another, no funeral or sign of it was to be seen in the daytime, except a little, as I have said above, in the first three weeks in September. This last article will hardly be believed when some accounts which others have published since that shall be seen, wherein they say that the dead lay unburied, which I am assured was utterly false. At least, if it had been anywhere so, it must have been in houses where the living were gone from the dead, having found means, as I have observed, to escape, and where no notice was given to the officers, all which amounts to nothing at all in the case in hand, for this I am positive in, having been employed a little in the direction of that part in the parish in which I lived, and where as great a desolation was made in proportion to the number of inhabitants as was anywhere, I say, I am sure that there were no dead bodies remained unburied, that is to say, none that the proper officers knew of, none for want of people to carry them off, and barriers to put them into the ground and cover them, and this is sufficient to the argument, for what might lie in houses and holes, as in Moses and Aaron Alley, is nothing, for it is most certain they were buried as soon as they were found. As to the first article, namely of provisions, the scarcity or dearness, though I have mentioned it before, and shall speak of it again, yet I must observe here. First, the price of bread in particular was not much raised, for in the beginning of the year, that is, in the first week in March, the penny wheaten loaf was ten ounces and a half, and in the height of the contagion it was to be had at nine ounces and a half, and never dearer, no, not all that season. And, about the beginning of November, it was sold ten ounces and a half again, the like of which, I believe, was never heard of in any city under so dreadful a visitation before. Second, neither was there, which I wondered much at, 
any want of bakers or ovens kept open to supply the people with the bread but this was indeed alleged by some families that is that their maid-servants going to the bake-houses with their dough to be baked which was then the custom sometimes came home with the sickness that is to say the plague upon them in all this dreadful visitation there were as i have said before but two pest-houses made use of that is one in the fields beyond old street and one in westminster neither was there any compulsion used in carrying people thither indeed there was no need of compulsion in the case for there were many thousands of poor and distressed people who having no help or conveniences or supplies but of charity would have been very glad to have been carried thither and and been taken care of which indeed was the only thing that i think was wanting in the whole public management of the city seeing nobody was here allowed to be brought to the pest-house but where money was given or security for money either at their introducing or upon their being cured and sent out for very many were sent out again whole and very good physicians were appointed to those places so that many people did very well there of which i shall make mention again the principal sort of people sent thither were as i have said servants who got the distemper by going of errands to fetch necessaries to the families where they lived and who in that case if they came home sick were removed to preserve the rest of the house and they were so well looked after there in all the time of the visitation that there was but a hundred and fifty-six buried in all at the london pest-house and a hundred and fifty-nine at that of westminster by having more pest-houses i am far from meaning of forcing all people into such places had the shutting up of houses been omitted and the sick hurried out of their dwellings to pest-houses as some proposed it seems at that time as well as since it would certainly have been much worse than it was the very removing the sick would have been a spreading of the infection and this rather because that removing could not effectually clear the house where the sick person was of the distemper and the rest of the family being then left at liberty would certainly spread it among others the methods also in private families which would have been universally used to have concealed the distemper and to have concealed the person's being sick would have been such that the distemper would sometimes have seized a whole family before any visitors or examiners could have known it on the other hand the prodigious numbers which would have been sick at a time would have exceeded all the capacity of public pest-houses to receive them or of public officers to discover and remove them this was well considered in those days and i have heard them talk of it often the magistrates had enough to do to bring people to submit to having their houses shut up and many ways they deceived the watchmen and got out as i have observed 
but that difficulty made it apparent that they would have found it impracticable to have gone the other way to work, for they could never have forced the sick people out of their beds and out of their dwellings. It must not have been my Lord Mayor's officers, but an army of officers, that must have attempted it, and the people, on the other hand, would have been enraged and desperate, and would have killed those that should have offered to have meddled with them or with their children and relations, whatever had befallen them for it, so that they would have made the people who, as it was, were in the most terrible distraction imaginable, I say, they would have made them stark mad, whereas the magistrates found it proper, on several accounts, to treat them with lenity and compassion, and not with violence and terror, such as dragging the sick out of their houses, or obliging them to remove themselves, would have been. This leads me again to mention the time when the plague first began, that is to say, when it became certain that it would spread over the whole town, when, as I have said, the better sort of people first took the alarm and began to hurry themselves out of town. It was true, as I observed in its place, that the throng was so great, and the coaches, horses, wagons, and carts were so many, driving and dragging the people away, that it looked as if all the city was running away and had any regulations been published that had been terrifying at that time, especially such as would pretend to dispose of the people otherwise than they would dispose of themselves, it would have put both the city and suburbs into the utmost confusion. End of section 18「Section 19 of A Journal from the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Section 19. But the magistrates wisely caused the people to be encouraged, made very good bylaws for the regulating of the citizens, keeping good order in the streets, and making everything as eligible as possible to all sorts of people. In the first place, the Lord Mayor and the Sheriffs, the Court of Aldermen, and a certain number of the Common Councilmen, or their deputies, came to a resolution, and published it, viz., that they would not quit the city themselves, but that they would be always at hand for the preserving good order in every place, and for the doing justice on all occasions as also for the distributing the public charity to the poor, and, in a word, for the doing the duty and discharging the trust reposed in them by the citizens to the utmost of their power. In pursuance of these orders, the Lord Mayor, Sheriffs, etc., held councils every day, more or less, for making such dispositions as they found needful for preserving the civil peace, and though they used the people with all possible gentleness and clemency, yet all manner of presumptuous rogues, such as thieves, 
housebreakers, plunderers of the dead or of the sick, were duly punished, and several declarations were continually published by the Lord Mayor and Court of Aldermen against such. Also, all constables and church wardens were enjoined to stay in the city upon severe penalties, or to depute such able and sufficient housekeepers as the deputy aldermen or common councilmen of the precinct should approve, and for whom they should give security, and also security in case of mortality, that they would forthwith constitute other constables in their stead. These things re-established the minds of the people very much, especially in the first of their fright, when they talked of making so universal a flight that the city would have been in danger of being entirely deserted of its inhabitants except the poor, and the country of being plundered and laid waste by the multitude. Nor were the magistrates deficient in performing their part as bodily as they promised it, for my lord mayor and the sheriffs were continually in the streets and at places of the greatest danger, and, though they did not care for having too great a resort of people crowding about them, yet in emergent cases they never denied the people access to them, and heard with patience all their grievances and complaints. My lord mayor had a low gallery built on purpose in his hall, where he stood a little removed from the crowd, when any complaint came to be heard, that he might appear with as much safety as possible. Likewise the proper officers, called my Lord Mayor's officers, constantly attended in their turns, as they were in waiting. And if any of them were sick or infected, as some of them were, others were instantly employed to fill up and officiate in their places, till it was known whether the other should live or die. In like manner, the sheriffs and aldermen did in their several stations and wards, where they were placed by office, and the sheriff's officers, or sergeants, were appointed to receive orders from the respective aldermen in their turn, so that justice was executed in all cases without interruption. In the next place, it was one of their particular cares to see the orders for the freedom of the markets observed, and in this part either the Lord Mayor, or one or both of the sheriffs, were every market-day on horseback to see their orders executed, and to see that the country people had all possible encouragement and freedom in their coming to the markets and going back again, and that no nuisances or frightful objects should be seen in the streets to terrify them or make them unwilling to come. Also, the bakers were taken under particular order, and the master of the baker's company was, with his court of assistance, directed to see the order of my mayor for their regulation put in execution, and the due assize of bread which was weekly appointed by my lord mayor observed, and all the bakers were obliged to keep their oven going constantly, on pain of losing the privileges of a free man of the city of london by this means bread was always to be had in plenty and as cheap as usual as i said above and provisions were never wanting in the markets 
even to such a degree that I often wondered at it, and reproached myself with being so timorous and cautious in stirring abroad, when the country people came freely and boldly to market, as if there had been no manner of infection in the city, or danger of catching it. It was indeed one admirable piece of conduct in the said magistrates, that the streets were kept constantly clear, and free from all manner of frightful objects. Dead bodies, or any such things as were indecent or unpleasant, unless where anybody fell down suddenly or died in the streets, as I have said above, and these were generally covered with some cloth or blanket, or removed into the next churchyard till night. All the needful works that carried terror with them, that were both dismal and dangerous, were done in the night. If any diseased bodies were removed, or dead bodies buried, or infected clothes burnt, it was done in the night. And all the bodies which were thrown into the great pits in the several churchyards or burying grounds, as has been observed, were so removed in the night, and everything was covered and closed before day, so that in the daytime there was not the least signal of the calamity to be seen or heard of, except what was to be observed from the emptiness of the streets, and sometimes from the passionate outcries and lamentations of the people out at their windows, and from the numbers of houses and shops shut up. Nor was the silence and emptiness of the streets so much in the city as in the out-parts, except just at one particular time when, as I have mentioned, the plague came east and spread over all the city. It was indeed a merciful disposition of God that as the plague began at one end of the town first, as has been observed at large, so it proceeded progressively to other parts, and did not come on this way, or eastward, till it had spent its fury in the west part of the town. And so, as it came on one way, it abated another. For example, it began at St. Giles in the Westminster end of the town, and it was in its height in all that part by about the middle of July, viz. in St. Giles in the Fields, St. Andrews, Halborn, St. Clement Danes, St. Martin in the Fields, and in Westminster. The latter end of July it decreased in those parishes, and, coming east, it increased prodigiously in Cripplegate, St. Sepulchre's, St. James, Clarkenwell, and St. Bride's and Aldersgate, while it was in all these parishes, the city and all the parishes of the southwark side of the water, and all Stepney, Whitechapel, Aldgate, Wapping, and Radcliffe, were very little touched, so that people went about their business unconcerned, carried on their trades, kept open their shops, and conversed freely with one another in all the city, the east and northeast suburbs, and in Southwark, almost as if the plague had not been among us. 
even when the north and northwest suburbs were fully infected, viz. Cripplegate, Clarkenwell, Bishopsgate, and Shoreditch, yet all the rest were tolerably well. For example, from 25th July to 1st August, the bill stood thus of all diseases. St. Giles, Cripplegate, 554. St. Sepulchre's, 250. Clerkenwell, 103. Bishopsgate, 116. Shoreditch, 110. Stepney Parish, 127. Aldgate, 92. Whitechapel, 104. All the 97 parishes within the walls, 228. All the parishes in Southwark, 205. Totaling, 1,889. So that, in short, there died more that week in the two parishes of Cripplegate and St. Sepulchre's, by forty-eight than all the city, all the east suburbs, and all the Southwark parishes put together. This caused the reputation of the city's health to continue all over England, and especially in the counties and markets adjacent, from whence our supply of provisions chiefly came, even much longer than that health itself continued. For when the people came into the streets from the country, by Shoreditch and Bishopsgate, or by Old Street and Smithfield, they would see the outstreets empty, and the houses and shops shut, and the few people that were stirring there walk in the middle of the streets. But when they came within the city, there things looked better, and the markets and shops were open, and the people walking about the streets as usual, though not quite so many, and this continued till the latter end of August and the beginning of September. But then the case altered quite. The distemper abated in the west and northwest parishes, and the weight of the infection lay on the city and the eastern suburbs, and the southwork side, and this in a frightful manner. Then, indeed, the city began to look dismal, shops to be shut, and the streets desolate. In the high street, indeed, necessity made people stir abroad on many occasions, and there would be in the middle of the day a pretty many people, but in the mornings and evenings scarce any to be seen even there, no, not in Cornhill and Cheapside. These observations of mine were abundantly confirmed by the weekly bills of mortality for those weeks, an abstract of which, as they respect the parishes which I have mentioned, and as they make the calculations, I speak of very evident, take as follows. The weekly bill which makes out this decrease of the burials in the west and north side of the city stands thus. St. Giles, Cripplegate, 456. St. Giles in the Fields, 140. Clerkenwell, 77. St. Sepulchre's, 214. St. Leonard, Shoreditch, 183. Stepney Parish, 
716, Aldgate, 629, Whitechapel, 532, in the ninety-seven parishes within the walls, one thousand four hundred and ninety-three, in the eight parishes on the southwark side, one thousand six hundred and thirty-six, totaling six thousand seventy-six. Here is a strange change of things indeed, and a sad change it was, and had it held for two months more than it did, very few people would have been left alive. But then such, I say, was the merciful disposition of God, that when it was thus, the west and north part, which had been so dreadfully visited at first, grew, as you see, much better. And as the people disappeared here, they began to look abroad again there, and the next week or two altered it still more, that is, more to the encouragement of the other part of town. For example, September 19th through 26th, St. Giles, Cripplegate, 277, St. Giles in the Field, 119, Clerkenwell, 76, St. Sepulchre's, 193, St. Leonard, Shoreditch, 146, Stepney Parish, 616, Aldgate, 496, Whitechapel, 346, in the 97 parishes within the walls, 1,268, in the 8 parishes on Southwark side, 1,390, totaling 4,927. September 26th through October 3rd. St. Giles, Cripplegate, 196. St. Giles in the Fields, 95. Clerkenwell, 48. St. Sepulchre's, 137. St. Leonard, Shoreditch, 128. Stepney Parish, 674. Aldgate, 372. Whitechapel, 328. In the 97 parishes, within the walls, 1,149. In the 8 parishes on the southward side, 4,328. And now, the misery of the city, and of the said east and south parts, was complete, indeed, for as you see, the weight of the distemper lay upon those parts, that is to say, the city, the eight parishes over the river, and with the parishes of Aldgate, Whitechapel, and Stepney. And this was the time that the bills came up to such a monstrous height as that I mentioned before, and that eight or nine, and, as I believe, ten or twelve thousand a week died. For it is my settled opinion that they never could come at any just account of the numbers for the reasons which I have given already. Nay, one of the most eminent physicians, who has since published in Latin an account of those times and of his observations, says that in one week there died twelve thousand people. 
and that, particularly, there died four thousand in one night, though I do not remember that there ever was any such particular night so remarkably fatal as that such a number died in it. However, all this confirms what I have said above of the uncertainty of the bills of mortality, etc., of which I shall say more hereafter. And here let me take leave to enter again, though it may seem a repetition of circumstances, into a description of the miserable condition of the city itself, and of those parts where I lived at this particular time. The city and those other parts, notwithstanding the great numbers of people that were gone into the country, was vastly full of people, and perhaps the fuller because people had for a long time a strong belief that the plague would not come into the city, nor into Southwark, no, nor into Wapping or Radcliffe at all. Nay, such was the assurance of the people on that head that many removed from the suburbs on the west and north sides into those eastern and south sides, as for safety, and, as I verily believe, carried the plague amongst them there, perhaps sooner than they would otherwise have had it. Here, also, I ought to leave a further remark for the use of posterity, concerning the manner of peoples infecting one another, namely, that it was not the sick people only from whom the plague was immediately received by others that were sound, but the well. To explain myself, by the sick people I mean those who were known to be sick, had taken their beds, had been under cure, or had swellings or tumours upon them, and the like. These everybody could beware of. They were either in their beds, or in such condition, as could not be concealed. By the well, I mean such as had received the contagion, and had it really upon them and in their blood, yet did not show the consequences of it in their countenances, nay, even were not sensible of it themselves, as many were not for several days. These breathed death in every place, and upon everybody who came near them, nay, their very clothes retained the infection. Their hands would infect the things they touched, especially if they were warm and sweaty, and they were generally apt to sweat, too. Now, it was impossible to know these people, nor did they sometimes, as I have said, know themselves to be infected. These were the people that so often dropped down and fainted in the streets, for oftentimes they would go about the streets to the last, till, on a sudden, they would sweat, grow faint, sit down at a door, and die. It is true, finding themselves thus, they would struggle hard to get home to their own doors, or at other times would be just able to go into their houses, and die instantly. Other times they would go about till they had the very tokens come out upon them, and yet not know it, and would die in an hour or two after they came home, but be well as long as they were abroad. These were the dangerous people. These were the people of whom the well people ought to have been afraid. 
but then on the other side it was impossible to know them and this is the reason why it is impossible in a visitation to prevent the spreading of the plague by the utmost human vigilance viz that it is impossible to know the infected people from the sound or that the infected people should perfectly know themselves i knew a man who conversed freely in london all the season of the plague in sixteen sixty five and kept about him an antidote or cordial on purpose to take when he thought himself in any danger and he had such a rule to know or have warning of the danger by as indeed i never met with before or since how far it may be depended on i know not he had a wound in his leg and whenever he came among any people that were not sound and the infection began to affect him he said he could know it by that signal viz that the wound in his leg would smart and look pale and white so as soon as ever he felt it smart it was time for him to withdraw or to take care of himself taking his drink which he always carried about him for that purpose now it seems he found his wound would smart many times when he was in company with such who thought themselves to be sound and who appeared so to one another but he would presently rise up and say publicly friends here is somebody in the room that has the plague and so would immediately break up the company this was indeed a faithful monitor to all people that the plague is not to be avoided by those that converse promiscuously in a town infected and people have it when they know it not and that they likewise give it to others when they know not that they have it themselves and in this case shutting up the well or removing the sick will not do it unless they can go back and shut up all those that the sick had conversed with even before they knew themselves to be sick and none knows how far to carry that back or where to stop for none knows when or where or how they may have received the infection or from whom this i take to be the reason which makes so many people talk of the air being corrupted and infected and that they need not be cautious of whom they converse with for that the contagion was in the air i have seen them in strange agitations and surprises on this account i have never come near any infected body says the disturbed person i have conversed with none but sound healthy people and yet i have gotten the distemper i am sure i am struck from heaven says another and he falls to the serious part again the first goes on exclaiming i have come near no infection or any infected person i am sure it is in the air we draw in death when we breathe and therefore it is the hand of god there is no withstanding it and this at last made many people being hardened to the danger grow less concerned at it and less cautious towards the latter end of the time and when it was come to its height then they were at first then with a kind of a turkish predestinarianism 
they would say, if it pleased God to strike them, it was all one whether they went abroad or stayed at home. They could not escape it, and therefore they went boldly about, even into infected houses, and infected company, visited sick people, and, in short, lay in the beds with their wives or relations when they were infected. And what was the consequence? But the same that is the consequence in Turkey, and in those countries where they do those things, namely, that they were infected too, and died by hundreds and thousands. End of section 19Section 20 of A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 20 I would be far from lessening the awe of the judgments of God and the reverence to His providence which ought always to be on our minds on such occasions as these. Doubtless the visitation itself is a stroke from heaven upon a city, country, or nation where it falls, a messenger of his vengeance, and a loud call to that nation or country or city to humiliation and repentance, according to that of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. Quote, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Close quote. Now, to prompt due impressions of the awe of God on the minds of men on such occasions, and not to lessen them, it is that I have left those minutes upon record. I say, therefore, I reflect upon no man for putting the reason of those things upon the immediate hand of God, and the appointment and direction of His providence. Nay, on the contrary, there were many wonderful deliverances of persons from infection, and deliverances of persons when infected, which intimate, singular, and remarkable providence in the particular instances to which they refer. And I esteem my own deliverance to be one next to miraculous, and do record it with thankfulness. But when I am speaking of the plague as a distemper arising from natural causes, we must consider it as it was really propagated by natural means, nor is it at all the less a judgment for its being, under the conduct of human causes and effects, for, as the divine power has formed the whole scheme of nature, and maintains nature in its course, so the same power thinks fit to let his own actings with men, whether of mercy or judgment, to go on in the ordinary course of natural causes, and he is pleased to act by those natural causes as the ordinary means, accepting and reserving to himself, nevertheless, a power to act in a supernatural way when he sees occasion. Now, 
tis evident that in the case of an infection there is no apparent extraordinary occasion for supernatural operation but the ordinary course of things appears sufficiently armed and made capable of all the effects that heaven usually directs by a contagion among these causes and effects this of the secret conveyance of infection imperceptible and unavoidable is more than sufficient to execute the fierceness of divine vengeance without putting it upon supernaturals and miracle the acute penetrating nature of the disease itself was such and the infection was received so imperceptibly that the most exact caution could not secure us while in the place but i must be allowed to believe and i have so many examples fresh in my memory to convince me of it that i think none can resist their evidence i say i must be allowed to believe that no one in this whole nation ever received the sickness or infection but who received it in the ordinary way of infection from somebody or the clothes or touch or stench of somebody that was infected before the manner of its coming first to london proves this also viz by goods brought over from holland and brought thither from the levant the first breaking of it out in a house in long acre where those goods were carried and first opened it spreading from that house to other houses by the visible unwary conversing with those who were sick and the infecting the parish officers who were employed about the persons dead and the like these are known authorities for this great foundation point that it went on and proceeded from person to person and from house to house and no otherwise in the first house that was infected there died four persons a neighbor hearing the mistress of the first house was sick went to visit her and went home and gave the distemper to her family and died and all her household a minister called to pray with the first sick person in the second house was said to sicken immediately and die with several more in his house then the physicians began to consider for they did not at first dream of a general contagion but the physicians being sent to inspect the bodies they assured the people that it was neither more or less than the plague with all its terrifying particulars and that it threatened an universal infection so many people having already conversed with the sick or distempered and having as might be supposed received infection from them that it would be impossible to put a stop to it here the opinion of the physicians agreed with my observations afterwards namely that the danger was spreading insensibly for the sick could infect none but those that came within reach of the sick person but that one man who may have really received the infection and knows it not but goes abroad and about as a sound person may give the plague to a thousand people and they to greater numbers in proportion and neither the person giving the infection or the persons receiving it know anything of it and perhaps not feel the effects of it for several days after 
For example, many persons in the time of this visitation never perceived that they were infected till they found, to their unspeakable surprise, the tokens come out upon them, after which they seldom lived six hours, for these spots they called the tokens were really gangrene spots, or mortified flesh in small knobs, as broad as a little silver penny, and hard as a piece of callus, or horn, so that when the disease was come up to that length, there was nothing could follow but certain death, and yet, as I said, they knew nothing of their being infected, nor found themselves so much as out of order, till those mortal marks were upon them. But everybody must allow that they were infected in a high degree before, and must have been so some time, and consequently their breath, their sweat, their very clothes, were contagious for many days before. This occasioned a vast variety of cases which physicians would have much more opportunity to remember than I, but some came within the compass of my observation or hearing, of which I shall name a few. A certain citizen who had lived safe and untouched till the month of September, when the weight of the distemper lay more in the city than it had done before, was mighty cheerful, and something too bold, as I think it was, in his talk of how secure he was, how cautious he had been, and how he had never come near any sick body. Says another citizen, a neighbor of his, to him one day, Do not be too confident, Mr. Blank. It is hard to say who is sick and who is well. For we see men alive and well to outward appearance one hour, and dead the next. That is true, says the first man, for he was not a man presumptuously secure, but had escaped a long while. And men, as I said above, especially in the city, began to be over-easy upon that score. That is true, says he, I do not think myself secure, but I hope I have not been in company with any person that there has been any danger in. No, says his neighbor, was not that you at the Bullhead Tavern in Gracechurch Street with Mr. Dash the night before last? Yes, says the first, I was, but there was nobody there that we had any reason to think dangerous. Upon which his neighbor said no more, being unwilling to surprise him. But this made him more inquisitive, and as his neighbor appeared backward, he was the more impatient, and, in a kind of warmth, says he aloud, Why, he is not dead, is he? Upon which his neighbor still was silent, but cast up his eyes and said something to himself, at which the first citizen turned pale, and said no more but this, then I am a dead man too, and went home immediately and sent for a neighboring apothecary to give him something preventive, for he had not yet found himself ill. But the apothecary, opening his breast, fetched a sigh, and said no more but this, look up to God, and the man died in a few hours. Now, let any man judge from a case like this, 
if it is possible for the regulations of magistrates, either by shutting up the sick or removing them, to stop an infection which spreads itself from man to man even while they are perfectly well and insensible of its approach, and may be so for many days. It may be proper to ask here how long it may be supposed men might have the seeds of the contagion in them before it discovered itself in this fatal manner, and how long they might go about seemingly whole, and yet be contagious to all those that came near them. I believe the most experienced physicians cannot answer this question directly any more than I can, and something an ordinary observer may take notice of, which may pass their observations. The opinion of physicians abroad seems to be that it may lie dormant in the spirits, or in the blood-vessels, a very considerable time. Why else do they exact a quarantine of those who came into their harbours and ports from suspected places? Forty days is, one would think, too long for nature to struggle with such an enemy as this, and not conquer it, or yield to it. But I could not think, by my own observation, that they can be infected so as to be contagious to others above fifteen or sixteen days at furthest. And on that score it was, that when a house was shut up in the city, and any one had died of the plague, but nobody appeared to be ill in the family for sixteen or eighteen days after, they were not so strict, but that they would connive at their going privately abroad, nor would people be much afraid of them afterward, but rather think they were fortified the better, having not been vulnerable, when the enemy was in their own house. But we sometimes found it had lain much longer concealed. Upon the foot of all these observations, I must say, though, that, though Providence seemed to direct my conduct to be otherwise, yet it is my opinion, and I must leave it as a prescription, viz., that the best physic against the plague is to run away from it. I know people encourage themselves by saying, God is able to keep us in the midst of danger, and able to overtake us when we think ourselves out of danger and this kept thousands in the town, whose carcasses went into the great pits by cartloads, and who, if they had fled from the danger, had, I believe, been safe from the disaster. At least, tis probable, they had been safe. And were this very fundamental only duly considered by the people on any future occasion of this or the like nature, I am persuaded it would put them upon quite different measures for managing the people from those that they took in 1665, or than any that have been taken abroad that I have heard of. In a word, they would consider of separating the people into smaller bodies, and removing them in time farther from one another, and not let such a contagion as this, which is indeed chiefly dangerous to collected bodies of people, find a million of people in a body together, as was very near the case before, and would certainly be the case if it should ever appear again. 
the plague like a great fire, if a few houses only are contiguous where it happens, can only burn a few houses. Or, if it begins in a single, or, as we call it, a lone house, can only burn that lone house where it begins. But if it begins in a close-built town or city and gets ahead, there its fury increases. It rages over the whole place, and consumes all it can reach. I could propose many schemes on the foot of which the government of this city, if ever they should be under the apprehensions of such another enemy, God forbid they should, might ease themselves of the greatest part of the dangerous people that belong to them, I mean, such as the begging, starving, and laboring poor, and among them chiefly those who, in case of a siege, are called the useless mouths, who, being then prudently and to their own advantage disposed of, and the wealthy inhabitants disposing of themselves and of their servants and children, the city and its adjacent parts would be so effectually evacuated that there would not be above a tenth part of its people left together for the disease to take hold upon, but suppose them to be a fifth part, and that two hundred and fifty thousand people were left, and if it did seize upon them, they would, by their living so much at large, be much better prepared to defend themselves against the infection, and be less liable to the effects of it than if the same number of people lived close together in one smaller city such as Dublin or Amsterdam or the like. It is true hundreds, yea thousands, of families fled away at this last plague, but then of them many fled too late and not only died in their flight, but carried the distemper with them into the countries where they went, and infected those whom they went among for safety, which confounded the thing, and made that be a propagation of the distemper, which was the best means to prevent it. And this, too, is an evidence of it, and brings me back to what I only hinted at before, but must speak more fully to here, namely, that men went about apparently well, many days after they had the taint of the disease in their vitals, and after their spirits were so seized as that they could never escape it, and that all the while they did so they were dangerous to others. I say, this proves that so it was, for such people infected the very towns they went through, as well as the families they went among, and it was by that means that almost all the great towns in England had the distemper among them, more or less, and always they would tell you such a Londoner, or such a Londoner, brought it down. It must not be omitted that, when I speak of those people who were really thus dangerous, I suppose them to be utterly ignorant of their own conditions, for if they really knew their circumstances to be such as indeed they were, they must have been a kind of willful murderers, if they would have gone abroad among healthy people, and it would have verified indeed the suggestion which I mentioned above, and which I thought seemed untrue, viz., that the infected people were 
utterly careless as to giving the infection to others, and rather forward to do it than not. And I believe it was partly from this very thing that they raised that suggestion, which I hope was not really true, in fact. I confess no particular case is sufficient to prove a general, but I could name several people within the knowledge of some of their neighbors and families yet living who showed the contrary to an extreme. One man, a master of a family in my neighborhood, having had the distemper, he thought he had it given him by a poor workman whom he employed, and whom he went to his house to see, and went for some work that he wanted to have finished, and he had some apprehensions even while he was at the poor workman's door, but did not discover it fully. But the next day it discovered itself, and he was taken very in, upon which he immediately caused himself to be carried into an outbuilding which he had in his yard, and where there was a chamber over a workhouse, the man being a brazier. Here he lay, and here he died and would be tended by none of his neighbors, but by a nurse from abroad, and would not suffer his wife, nor children, nor servants to come up into the room, lest they should be infected, but sent them his blessings and prayers for them by the nurse, who spoke it to them at a distance, and all this for fear of giving them the distemper, and without which he knew as they were kept up, they could not have it. And here I must observe also that the plague, as I suppose all distempers do, operated in a different manner on differing constitutions. Some were immediately overwhelmed with it, and it came to violent fevers, vomitings, insufferable headaches, pains in the back, and so up to ravings and ragings with those pains. Others, with swellings and tumors in the neck or groin or armpits, which, till they could be broke, put them into insufferable agonies and torment. While others, as I have observed, were silently infected, the fever preying upon their spirits insensibly, and they seeing little of it till they fell into swooning and faintings, and death without pain. I am not physician enough to enter into the particular reasons and manner of these differing effects of one and the same distemper, and of its differing operation in several bodies, nor is it my business here to record the observations which I really made because the doctors themselves have done that part much more effectually than I can do, and because my opinion may in some things differ from theirs. I am only relating what I know, or have heard, or believe of the particular cases, and what fell within the compass of my view, and the different nature of the infection as it appeared in the particular cases which I have related. But this may be added, too, that though the former sort of those cases, namely those openly visited, were the worst for themselves as to pain, I mean those that had such fevers, 
vomitings, headaches, pains, and swellings, because they died in such a dreadful manner. Yet the latter had the worst state of the disease, for in the former they frequently recovered, especially if the swellings broke. But the latter was inevitable death. No cure, no help could be possible. Nothing could follow but death. And it was worse also to others, because, as above, it secretly and unperceived by others or by themselves communicated death to those they conversed with, the penetrating poison insinuating itself into their blood in a manner which is impossible to describe, or indeed conceive. This infecting and being infected without so much as its being known to either person is evident from two sorts of cases which frequently happened at that time, and there is hardly anybody living who was in London during the infection, but must have known several of the cases of both sorts. 1. Fathers and mothers have gone about as if they had been well, and have believed themselves to be so, till they have insensibly infected and been the destruction of their whole families, which they would have been far from doing, if they had the least apprehensions of their being unsound and dangerous themselves. A family whose story I have heard was thus infected by the father, and the distemper began to appear upon some of them even before he found it upon himself. But searching more narrowly, it appeared he had been affected some time, and as soon as he found that his family had been poisoned by himself, he went distracted, and would have laid violent hands upon himself, but was kept from that by those who looked to him, and in a few days died. 2. The other particular is that many people, having been well to the best of their own judgment, or by the best observation which they could make of themselves for several days, and only finding a decay of appetite, or a light sickness upon their stomachs, nay, some whose appetite was quite strong, and even craving, and only a light pain in their heads, have sent for physicians to know what ailed them, and have been found, to their great surprise, at the brink of death, the tokens upon them, or the plague grown up to an incurable height. It was very sad to reflect how such a person as this last mentioned above had been a walking destroyer, perhaps for a week or a fortnight before that, how he had ruined those that he would have hazarded his life to save, and had been breathing death upon them, even, perhaps, in his tender kissing and embracings of his own children. Yet thus certainly it was, and often has been, and I could give many particular cases where it has been so. If, then, the blow is thus insensibly striking, if the arrow flies thus unseen, and cannot be discovered, to what purpose are all the schemes for shutting up or removing the sick people? Those schemes cannot take place, but upon those that, 
appear to be sick, or to be infected, whereas there are among them, at the same time, thousands of people who seem to be well, but are all that while carrying death with them into all companies which they come into. This frequently puzzled our physicians, and especially the apothecaries and surgeons, who knew not how to discover the sick from the sound. They all allowed that it was really so, that many people had the plague in their very blood, and preying upon their spirits, and were, in themselves, but walking putrefied carcasses, whose breath was infectious, and their sweat poison, and yet were as well to look on as other people, and even knew it not themselves. I say, they all allowed that it was really true, in fact, but they knew not how to propose a discovery. My friend Dr. Heath was of the opinion that it might be known by the smell of their breath, but then he said, who durst smell to that breath for his information, since to know it he must draw the stench of the plague up into his own brain, in order to distinguish the smell. I have heard it was the opinion of others that it might be distinguished by the parties breathing upon a piece of glass, where, the breath condensing, there might living creatures be seen by a microscope, of strange, monstrous, and frightful shapes, such as dragons, snakes, serpents, and devils horrible to behold. But this I very much question the truth of, and we had no microscopes at that time, as I remember, to make the experiment with. It was the opinion also of another learned man that the breath of such a person would poison and instantly kill a bird, not only a small bird, but even a cock or a hen, and that if it did not immediately kill the latter, it would cause them to be rupee, as they called it, particularly that if they had laid any eggs at any time, they would be all rotten. But those are opinions which I never found supported by any experiments, or heard of others that had seen it. So I leave them as I find them, only with this remark, namely, that I think the probabilities are very strong for them. Some have proposed that such persons should breathe hard upon warm water, and that they would leave an unusual scum upon it, or upon several other things, especially such as are of a glutinous substance, and are apt to receive a scum, and support it. But from the whole, I found that the nature of this contagion was such that it was impossible to discover it at all or to prevent its being spread from one to another by any human skill. Here was indeed one difficulty which I could never thoroughly get over to this time, and which there is but one way of answering it that I know of, and it is this, viz. the first person that died of the plague was on December 20th, or thereabouts, 1664, and in or about Long Acre, 
whence the first person had the infection, was generally said to be from a parcel of silks imported from Holland, and first opened in that house. But after this we heard no more of any person dying of the plague, or of the distemper being in that place, till the ninth of February, which was about seven weeks after, and then one more was buried out of the same house. Then it was hushed, and we were perfectly easy as to the public for a great while, for there were no more entered in the weekly bill to be dead of the plague till the twenty-second of April, when there were two more buried, not out of the same house, but out of the same street, and, as near as I can remember, it was out of the next house to the first. This was nine weeks asunder, and after this we had no more till a fortnight, and then it broke out in several streets, and spread every way. Now the question seems to lie thus. Where lay the seeds of the infection all this while? How came it to stop so long, and not stop any longer? Either the distemper did not come immediately by contagion from body to body, or, if it did, then a body may be capable to continue infected without the disease discovering itself many days, nay, weeks, together. Even not a quarantine of days only, but soixantine, not only forty days, but sixty days, or longer. End of section 20 Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox, Spring 2007 Section 21 of A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 21 It is true there was, as I observed at first, and is well known to many yet living, a very cold winter, and a long frost, which continued three months. And this, the doctors say, might check the infection. But then the learned must allow me to say that, if, according to their notion, the disease was, as I may say, only frozen up, it would, like a frozen river, have returned to its usual force and current when it thawed, whereas the principal recess of this infection, which was from February to April, was after the frost was broken, and the weather mild and warm. But there is another way of solving all this difficulty, which I think my own remembrance of the thing will supply and that is, the fact is not granted, namely that there died none in those long intervals, viz. from the 20th of December to the 9th of February, and from thence to the 22nd of April. The weekly bills are the only evidence on the other side, and those bills were not of credit enough, at least with me, to support an hypothesis or determine a question of such importance as this. For, 
It was our received opinion at that time, and I believe upon very good grounds, that the fraud lay in the parish officers, searchers, and persons appointed to give account of the dead, and what diseases they died of. And as people were very loath at first to have the neighbors believe their houses were infected, so they gave money to procure, or otherwise procured, the dead persons to be returned as dying of other distempers. And this I know was practiced afterwards in many places. I believe I might say in all places where the distemper came, as will be seen, by the vast increase of the numbers placed in the weekly bills under other articles of diseases during the time of the infection. For example, in the months of July and August, when the plague was coming on to its highest pitch, it was very ordinary to have from a thousand to twelve hundred, nay, to almost fifteen hundred a week, of other distempers. Not that the numbers of those distempers were really increased to such a degree, but the great number of families and houses where really the infection was, obtained the favor to have their dead be returned of other distempers, to prevent the shutting up their houses. For example, dead of other diseases beside the plague, from the 18th of July to the 25th, 942, from the 25th of July to the 1st of August, 1,004, from the 1st of August to the 8th, 1,213, from the 8th to the 15th, 1,439, from the 15th to the 22nd, 1,331, from the 22nd to the 29th, 1,394, from the twenty-ninth to the fifth of September, one thousand two hundred and sixty-four. From the fifth of September to the twelfth, one thousand fifty-six. From the twelfth to the nineteenth, one thousand one hundred and thirty-two. From the nineteenth to the twenty-sixth, nine hundred and twenty-seven. Now, it was not doubted, but the greatest part of these, or a great part of them, were dead of the plague. But the officers were prevailed with to return them as above, and the numbers of some particular articles of distempers discovered is as follows. From August 1st to the 8th, fever, 314, spotted fever, 174, surfeit, 85, teeth, 90, for a total of 663, from August 8th to the 15th, fever, 353, spotted fever, 190, surfeit, 87, teeth, 113, for a total of 743, from August 15th to the 22nd, 348 fever, spotted fever 166, surfeit 74, teeth 
111 for a total of 699. From August 22nd to the 29th. Fever, 383. Spotted fever, 165. Surfate, 99. Teeth, 133 for a total of 780. From August 29th to September 5th. Fever, 364. Spotted fever, 157. Surfate, 68. Teeth, 138. For a total of 727. From September 5th to the 12th. Fever, 332. Spotted fever, 97. Surfate, 45. Teeth, 128. For a total of 602. From September 12th to the 19th. Fever, 309. Spotted fever, 101. Surfate, 49. Teeth, 121. For a total of 580. And from September 19th to the 26th. Fever, 268. Spotted fever, 65. Surfate, 36. Teeth, 112. Total, 481. There were several other articles which bore a proportion to these, and which, it is easy to perceive, were increased on the same account as aged, consumptions, vomitings, imposthumes, grips, and the like, many of which were not doubted to be infected people. But, as it was of the utmost consequence to families not to be known to be infected, if it was possible to avoid it, so they took all the measures they could to have it not believed, and, if any died in their houses, to get them returned to the examiners and by the searchers, as having died of other distempers. This, I say, will account for the long interval which, as I have said, was between the dying of the first persons that were returned in the bill to be dead of the plague, and the time when the distemper spread openly, and could not be concealed. Besides, the weekly bills themselves at that time evidently discovered the truth, for while there was no mention of the plague, and no increase after it had been mentioned, yet it was apparent that there was an increase of those distempers which bordered nearest upon it. For example, there were eight, twelve, seventeen of the spotted fever in a week, when there were none, or but very few, of the plague, whereas before one, three, or four were the ordinary weekly numbers of that distemper. Likewise, as I observed before, the burials increased weekly in that particular parish, and the parishes adjacent more than in any other parish, although there were none set down of the plague. All which tells us that the infection was handed on, and the succession of the distemper really preserved, though it seemed to us at that time to be ceased, and to come again in a manner surprising. It might be also that the infection might remain in other parts of the same parcel of goods 
which at first it came in, and which might not be perhaps opened, or at least not fully, or in the clothes of the first infected person, for I cannot think that anybody could be seized with the contagion in a fatal and mortal degree for nine weeks together, and support his state of health so well as even not to discover it to themselves. Yet, if it were so, the argument is the stronger in favour of what I am saying, namely, that the infection is retained in bodies apparently well, and conveyed from them to those they converse with, while it is known to neither the one nor the other. Great were the confusions at that time upon this very account and when people began to be convinced that the infection was received in this surprising manner from persons apparently well, they began to be exceeding shy and jealous of every one that came near them. Once, on a public day, whether a Sabbath day or not, I do not remember, in Aldgate Church, in a pew full of people, on a sudden one fancied she smelt an ill smell, Immediately she fancies the plague was in the pew, whispers her notion or suspicion to the next, then rises and goes out of the pew. It immediately took with the next, and so to them all, and every one of them, and of the two or three adjoining pews, got up and went out of the church, nobody knowing what it was offended them, or from whom. This immediately filled everybody's mouths with one preparation or other, such as the old woman directed, and some perhaps as physicians directed, in order to prevent infection by the breath of others, insomuch that if we came to go into a church when it was anything full of people, there would be such a mixture of smells at the entrance that it was much more strong though perhaps not so wholesome, than if you were going into an apothecary's or druggist's shop. In a word, the whole church was like a smelling bottle. In one corner it was all perfumes, in another aromatics, balsamics, and variety of drugs and herbs, in another salts and spirits, as every one was furnished for their own preservation. Yet I observed that, after people were possessed, as I have said, with the belief, or rather assurance, of the infection being thus carried on by persons apparently in health, the churches and meeting-houses were much thinner of people than at other times before that they used to be. For this is to be said of the people of London, that during the whole time of the pestilence, the churches or meetings were never wholly shut up, nor did the people decline coming out to the public worship of God, except only in some parishes when the violence of the distemper was more particularly in that parish at that time, and even then no longer than it continued to be so. Indeed, nothing was more strange than to see with what courage the people went to the public service of God, even at that time when they were afraid 
to stir out of their very own houses upon any other occasion this i mean before the time of desperation which i have mentioned already this was a proof of the exceeding populousness of the city at the time of the infection notwithstanding the great numbers that were gone into the country at the first alarm and that fled out into the forests and woods when they were further terrified with the extraordinary increase of it for when we came to see the crowds and throngs of people which appeared on the sabbath days at the churches and especially in those parts of the town where the plague was abated or where it was not yet come to its height it was amazing but of this i shall speak again presently i return in the meantime to the article of infecting one another at first before people came to right notions of the infection and of infecting one another people were only shy of those that were really sick a man with a cap on his head or with clothes round his neck which was the case of those that had swellings there such was indeed frightful but when we saw a gentleman dressed with his band on and his gloves in his hand his hat upon his head and his hair combed of such we had not the least apprehensions and people conversed a great while freely especially with their neighbors and such as they knew but when the physicians assured us that the danger was as well from the sound that is the seemingly sound as the sick and that those people who thought themselves entirely free were oftentimes the most fatal and that it came to be generally understood that people were sensible of it and of the reason of it then i say they began to be jealous of everybody and a vast number of people locked themselves up so as not to come abroad into any company at all nor suffer any that had been abroad in promiscuous company to come into their houses or near them at least not so near them as to be within the reach of their breath or of any smell from them and when they were obliged to converse at a distance with strangers they would always have preservatives in their mouths and about their clothes to repel and keep off the infection it must be acknowledged that when people began to use these cautions they were less exposed to danger and the infection did not break into such houses so furiously as it did into others before and thousands of families were preserved speaking with due reserve to the direction of divine providence by that means but it was impossible to beat anything into the heads of the poor they went on with the usual impetuosity of their tempers full of outcries and lamentations when taken but madly careless of themselves foolhardy and obstinate while they were well where they could get employment they pushed into any kind of business the most dangerous and most liable to infection and if they were spoken to their answer would be i must trust to god for that 
If I am taken, then I am provided for, and there is an end of me, and the like. Or thus, why, what must I do? I can't starve. I had as good have the plague as perish for that. I have no work. What could I do? I must do this, or beg. Suppose it was burying the dead, or attending the sick, or watching infected houses, which were all terrible hazards. But their tale was generally the same. It is true, necessity was a very justifiable, warrantable plea, and nothing could be better. But their way of talk was much the same, where the necessities were not the same. This adventurous conduct of the poor was that which brought the plague among them in a most furious manner, and this, joined to the distress of their circumstances when taken, was the reason why they died so by heaps. For I cannot say I could observe one jot of better husbandry among them, I mean the laboring poor, while they were all well and getting money, than there was before, but as lavish, as extravagant, and as thoughtless for to-morrow as ever, so that when they came to be taken sick, they were immediately in the utmost distress, as well for want as for sickness, as well for lack of food as lack of health. This misery of the poor I had many occasions to be an eye-witness of, and sometimes also of the charitable assistance that some pious people daily gave to such, sending them relief and supplies both of food, physic, and other help as they found they wanted. And, indeed, it is a debt of justice due to the temper of the people of that day to take notice here, that not only great sums, very great sums of money, were charitably sent to the Lord Mayor and Aldermen for the assistance and support of the poor, distempered people, but abundance of private people daily distributed large sums of money for their relief, and sent people about to inquire into the condition of particular distressed and visited families, and relieved them. Nay, some pious ladies were so transported with zeal in so good a work, and so confident in the protection of providence, in discharge of the great duty of charity, that they went about in person distributing alms to the poor, and even visiting poor families, though sick and infected, in their very houses, appointing nurses to attend those that wanted attending, and ordering apothecaries and surgeons, the first to supply them with drugs or plasters, and such things as they wanted, and the last to lance and dress the swellings and tumours, where such were wanting, giving their blessing to the poor in substantial relief to them, as well as hearty prayers for them, I will not undertake to say, as some do, that none of those charitable people were suffered to fall under the calamity itself, but this I may say, that I never knew any one of them that miscarried, 
which I mention for the encouragement of others in case of the like distress. And doubtless, if they that give to the poor lend to the Lord, and he will repay them, those that hazard their lives to give to the poor, and to comfort and assist the poor in such a misery as this, may hope to be protected in the work. Nor was this charity so extraordinary, eminent, only in a few, but, for I cannot lightly quit this point, the charity of the rich, as well in the city and suburbs as from the country, was so great that, in a word, a prodigious number of people who must otherwise inevitably have perished for want, as well as sickness, were supported and subsisted by it. And though I could never, nor, I believe, any one else, come to a full knowledge of what was so contributed, yet I do believe that, as I heard one say that was a critical observer of that part, there was not only many thousand pounds contributed, but many hundred thousand pounds, to the relief of the poor of this distressed, afflicted city. Nay, one man affirmed to me that he could reckon up above one hundred thousand pounds a week, which was distributed by the church wardens at the several parish vestries by the Lord Mayor and Aldermen in the several wards and precincts, and by the particular direction of the court and of the justices, respectively in the parts where they resided, over and above the private charity distributed by pious bands in the manner I speak of. And this continued for many weeks together. I confess this is a very great sum, but if it be true that there was distributed in the parish of Cripplegate only seventeen thousand eight hundred pounds in one week to the relief of the poor, as I heard reported, and which I really believe was true, the other may not be improbable. It was doubtless to be reckoned among the many signal good providences which attended this great city, and of which there were many other worth recording. I say, this was a very remarkable one, that it pleased God thus to move the hearts of the people in all parts of the kingdom, so cheerfully to contribute to the relief and support of the poor at London, the good consequences of which were felt many ways, and particularly in preserving the lives and recovering the health of so many thousands, and keeping so many thousands of families from perishing and starving. And now I am talking of the merciful disposition of providence in this time of calamity. I cannot but mention again, though I have spoken several times of it already on other accounts, I mean that of the progression of the distemper, how it began at one end of the town, and proceeded gradually and slowly from one part to another, and, like a dark cloud that passes over our heads, which, as it thickens and overcasts the air at one end, clears up at the other end. So, while the plague went on raging from west to east, as it went 
forwards east, it abated in the west, by which means those parts of the town which were not seized, or who were left, and where it had spent its fury, were, as it were, spared to help and assist the other. Whereas, had the distemper spread itself over the whole city and suburbs at once, raging in all places alike, as it has done since in some places abroad, the whole body of the people must have been overwhelmed, and there would have died twenty thousand a day, as they say there did at Naples. Nor would the people have been able to have helped or assisted one another. For it must be observed that, where the plague was in its full force, there, indeed, the people were very miserable, and the consternation was inexpressible. But a little before it reached even to that place, or presently after it was gone, they were quite another sort of people. And I cannot but acknowledge that there was too much of that common temper of mankind to be found among us all at that time, namely, to forget the deliverance when the danger is past. But I shall come to speak of that part again. End of section 21「Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.